for the Athletic Podcast Network. This is the update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Michael Sean Dugar, who covers the Seattle Seahawks for the Athletic, about where the Seahawks stack up in a post-Russell Wilson world. They also lost linebacker Bobby Wagner, a lot of new faces up in Seattle. Can Pete Carroll continue the culture building or continue the growth of the organization uh, as Bill Belichick did out in New England after losing Tom Brady? That remains to be seen without a superstar quarterback in Russell Wilson. All things we can talk about with Michael Sean Dugar, who joins me next. Today is Monday, August 1st. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the podcast Michael Sean Dugar. He covers the Seattle Seahawks for The Athletic. You can also hear him on the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Michael, good to have you back on, man. Haven't talked to you since last season. How's uh, how'd the offseason treat you, man? Other than them getting rid of the best linebacker they ever had, best quarterback <laughs> they've ever had, firing a bunch of defensive coaches, uh, it was uh, pretty boring. Thanks for asking. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Lots to cover this offseason and certainly a lot for the Seahawks. So what's the vibe around this team up in Seattle right now? Uh, training camp opens. Obviously, you mentioned a, a lot of names and faces that people have become familiar with over the last decade plus up in Seattle. Not going to be there anymore. A lot goes in, I think, to Pete Carroll with his uh, his culture building and stuff that happens uh, around that and his attitude around the team. But but how are uh, how are people feeling? What's the outlook on the team for this season? People are embracing the newness of it. There is like a legitimate sell there. There's so many guys who are going to be in prominent roles that we just haven't seen much from. Now, if you're in the building, it's curiosity, you know, intrigue, you know, especially if you're like a scout or someone like, hey, I scouted this dude. Let me see what he'll actually look like in the league, not parked behind some veteran uh, for a few years, like in the building. That's you know pretty exciting, you know, because when somebody ha- potential just means you haven't done anything. So you could project as much upside as you'd like. The draft's full of that. As you got some guy like Cody Barton, right, who's basically stepping in to replace Bobby Wagner. Cody was drafted in 2019, right, but we haven't really seen much of him. So right now you can project that Cody will be like the best linebacker ever, right, because, again, potential is just unlimited upside. Whereas outside of the building, lots of pessimism, you know, because there are other teams that you're comparing that have proven linebackers, proven corners, proven quarterbacks, proven offensive linemen. So there's kind of like a divide, like around here, like, oh, okay, we got a bunch of new guys. Let's see how they do. And it's outside, you know, maybe everywhere but Seattle is kind of like, oh, Seattle's got a bunch of new guys. They probably stink. You know, they'll go four and 13 or whatever. Yeah, and I think that, I think that's in general how people view it around the NFL. You, you've got to prove it. You've got to establish uh, uh, your your ability in the league. And because they're in the NFC West, and it looks to be one of the more powerful uh, conferences or divisions, I should say, across football, there's going to be a lot of questions around this team. So, uh, talk to me about the strength of this team right now. Obviously, we'll get into the quarterback situation in just a minute. Geno Smith, Drew Locke, and, and Jacob East, and all that, uh, and what happens up there with that position. But what do you think the strength of this team is right now? What's going to be their calling card early in the season? I think Seattle legitimately has arguments to have the best safety pairing in the league and the best receiver tandem in the league. Like, and I don't say that lightly, you know, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are damn good. You know, like it's hard to find a better two. Like there's some competition, you know, I think Thielen and Justin Jefferson is good. And I think that uh, Tampa Bay seems to always be loaded. You know, if the Rams just keep getting guys, Tampa. Yeah. If if the Rams re-sign OBJ, you know, OBJ and cup is, Pretty good. Look quietly, AJ Brown and Devontae Smith is might be something. Same thing with Tyreek and Jalen Waddle. So there are some some pairings there, but like DK and Tyler is, is is about as good as it gets. Same thing with Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs. You know, you're talking about guys who two guys who have made multiple Pro Bowls. Jamal's an All Pro guy. 
both of them under 30, so pretty much in the prime of their careers. I know the Bills would probably argue that their safety pairing is better, and that's, and that's fine. You know, their last game would not support that. But I get it. <laughs> Sample size, uh, to be fair. But yeah, I think those two positions right there are, are Seattle's strongest, and those pairings that they have there could be stacked up against any other pairing in the league. Yeah, it's a good point because there are still uh, notable uh, names that people would recognize on this team. It's just that you don't have a guy in uh, in Russell Wilson delivering the football anymore. So so let's get into that. I assume this is like us here in San Francisco with the quarterback situation over the last couple of years. I imagine that uh, for the first time since Russell Wilson uh, uh, basically took the reins uh, right up in Seattle, this is going to be a, a questionable spot for them. Geno Smith, Drew Locke, is it Geno Smith's job to lose? Is this an outright competition? What is Pete Carroll going to give these two guys around him, basically? what What is uh, Seattle going to give them to sort of prop them up and make them better than their previous situations? You know, that's a good question because I wasn't really sure how to answer that, you know, and that's why I probably lean towards the more pessimistic side of the QB battle. Not because I'm just like, oh, Geno Smith stinks or Drew Locke stinks. Like, that's lazy. I need to say why you don't think they'll succeed. And for me, I think if you get about 20 plus starts in the league, like there's no number, but let's just throw 20 plus on it, which Drew has about 21. Geno has, I think, about 30 something. You get around that number, I am of the impression you kind of are who you are at that point, Josh Allen notwithstanding. I think he's the outlier. But from to talk to Pete Carroll and say, hey, Pete, these aren't rookies, right? These aren't even like second-year guys, like a young guy like Trey Lance, right? Or even the Davis Mills or Zach Wilson, guys who didn't – with Justin Fields, guys who didn't get the full burn, you know, as rookies. Drew's played some football, right, in multiple systems with multiple coordinators. Same thing with Geno. So – what are you going to offer that's different? And actually, the, the team site just produced a story on, I think, Monday or Tuesday uh, about this, like what Pete is offering. And they drew parallels to how Pete, you know, kind of revived Carson Palmer's career at USC. You know, Carson kind of stunk before he was that dude. Basically, the gist of the story was Pete injects just like the utmost confidence in the guys. And he puts a, a winning culture around guys and supports them with a run game and defense and basically just ask them to play point guard, not be play some hero ball. And that's kind of how guys succeed. Now, I don't buy that entirely, that comparison, just because it's easier to revive a quarterback career in college than it is in the NFL. Because in college, the talent disparity can be very wide, right? You got Alabama playing Chattanooga on any given Saturday, right? So <laughs> it's easier to do that, right? I used to cover Idaho, right? They would go play Auburn and get their boots smoked, right? Like the talent gap is huge. But I could catch that check, Idaho. Got to do it, man. Got to take those home and homes. They got like 1.1 million for that game or something like that right, yeah. by, by Auburn. But I, I bring that up to say, like, I understand the thought process on Pete's side because I was legitimately curious. Like, what are you selling? Like, why, are you, why is Drew Lott going to magically be some different guy with you? Why is Gino going to be some different guy with you? And I think that would be Pete's answer, you know, like just instilling confidence in those guys, putting supporting pieces around them, defense, run game. You know, and not asking them to be Mahomes and Josh Allen, you know, just hand it off a bunch and on third down, just don't screw it up. We saw this in San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo. He had a great supporting cast, and there are people in the Bay Area that would say, yeah, Jimmy didn't take the 49ers to a Super Bowl and an NFC Championship. His supporting cast helped him do it, and, and he didn't make too many mistakes along the way, and obviously quarterbacks have to make plays, but also the 49ers invested you know, draft pick trading and uh, and a whole bunch of money in Jimmy G and wanted him to be the guy. If you bring in Geno Smith, who's been there obviously, and then Drew Locke now and an opportunity to, to kind of be the guy and put a supporting cast around them, the expectations are not that of a guy who's a high draft pick, so 
maybe some of that pressure does come off a little bit because, as you point out, some of the supporting cast that's returning is going to be helpful to them. Speaking of that supporting cast, we know Seattle loves to run the football. You talked all about the culture, the things that Pete Carroll has done well for a number of years up there. Chris Carson, sad story for him, man. He was such a great story coming out of college. A seventh-round draft pick becomes a starter, two-time 1,000-yard rusher. Rashad Penny is still going to take the reins there. Uh, Kenneth Walker the third was uh, was drafted in the second round out of Michigan State. DJ Dallas, Travis Homer still on that depth chart. Uh, what happens with the running back situation here? Is this a, a by-committee thing? Is it a Rashad Penny's going to spearhead and, and take the reins? And, and when are we going to see Kenneth Walker, and uh, in what role do you think? Real quick on your Jimmy G point, because I do think Seattle was kind of pointing to what Jimmy G did in 2019 and the last this last season and what Jared Goff was able to do in 2018 is like examples of like, we don't need our guy to be Mahomes, right? Like Jared Goff and Jimmy G were just like, okay, they were good enough, you know, in those seasons and their teams made the NFC title games in three of those years that I mentioned, then the Super Bowl and the other two, like that's kind of the model Seattle would like to see in you. But the thing is, you look at the rosters around those guys. Jimmy G had multiple all-pro guys around him in that Super Bowl team, on offense and defense. Same thing with Jared in 2018 with the Rams. All-pro guys on both sides of the ball. And they and both of those teams had really good offensive lines and amazing run games. So that's the formula you want to copy there. I just think that one thing that's getting underlooked, specifically as you compared to Jimmy G, Jimmy G was nails on third down. Right. And if you're going to hand it off a bunch on first and second or, you know, dink and dunk it, boy, if it's third and eight, you better deliver. Right. And I think that's where a Jimmy G is markedly better than someone like a Gino or a Drew. I think those guys haven't performed as well on third down as someone like Jimmy G. But to your running back question, it's going to be Rashad Penny's show to start. Right. He's earned that. You know, Kenneth Walker had a bazillion yards in college, but that was college. Right. A lot easier to run through the Big Ten than the NFC West. Right? And Rashad Penny has done that. He's earned that. He was Barry Sanders for the last month of the season. And I'm not even speaking hyperbole. Like, go check weeks 14 through 18 and tell me how many running backs have had a stretch like that in the last, like, 30 years. It's, it's kind of unreal, the run he was on. He had more yards per carry after contact than, like, Jonathan Taylor did total in that stretch. And Jonathan Taylor was a monster in that run last year. So Rashad's earned that. But he has to stay healthy. Right Now, if he does not stay healthy, Ken Walker's waiting right there to just take all those carries. Right? And I think on first and second down, it'll be those two. I really don't think you'll see anyone else on the field on those two downs. Third down is a bit of a wild card. They could leave Rashad out there for short yardage. They could have Travis Homer out there. He's their best pass protecting running back. DJ Dallas is probably their best pass catching running back. So you'll see him on third down as well. Like third down will be more of a committee thing uh, in Seattle, whereas first and second down is going to be the Rashad Penny show and Ken Walker to third. Games are won and lost in the trenches, man. If you can, if you can uh, get that push on the uh, the offensive line or on the defensive line, if you're able to move the football on the ground, you give yourself an opportunity to win. And, and to your point, if, if you're just asking your quarterback to make a couple of big throws on third down, uh, maybe you win a few more games or, or move the ball a little bit more effectively. But that offensive line for them, uh, what's it going to look like this year? How would you grade it out here as, as we enter training camp? Because the defensive lines in the NFC West are, are some of the best in all of football. The 49ers are absolutely stacked. The Rams are returning a whole lot of players, plus Bobby Wagner's back there as a, as a play caller for them now, and, and you mentioned that earlier. Uh, how is this offensive line going to hold up, you think, in the NFC West? I think it'll be rough at first. You know, just in general, I just think defensive lines don't take as long to gel as offensive lines because, you know, one, one group is on the offensive, obviously offensive line, but the communication is a little more complex, whereas on the defense you're reacting, right? Guard does this, pulls this way, center does that. How they align, we you were reacting to how, you know, to what they give us, you know, whereas – 
on offense, you're like, ah, shoot, like make sure this, make sure this is right. If the quarterback says this, we got to make this check. And if defense shifts, yada, yada, yada. And when you're asking a bunch of young guys to be a part of that, you know, Charles Cross, their left tackle, first round pick this year, he's like 21. You know, if they start Jake Curran, undrafted second year guy out of Cal, you know, Jake's a pretty young guy too. He made like five, six starts last year, which is decent, but not a ton. They could be starting Abe Lucas at right tackle over Jake Curran. Abe's a rookie from Washington State, my alma mater, go Cougs. Austin Blythe <laughs> might be their starting center. You know, Austin basically lost his job to a rookie last year in Creed Humphrey. You know, Creed ended up having an amazing year. So maybe that's not an indictment of Austin's skills, but he also wasn't like super great in 2020 with the Rams. Otherwise, they would have, you know, re-signed him over there. So you're asking for a new center possibly two rookie tackles like that they're not going to come out of the gate mowing people down i don't care what your philosophy is that just takes time the nfl game is too different than the sec or the pac-12 so i think by the end of the year maybe like december if that unit stays healthy those three guys plus gabe jackson at right guard and damian lewis third year guy to lsu at left guard they can be fine be serviceable but coming out of the gate i just think they're going to have some growing pains which is natural when you got so many young guys and new faces Ironically, the 49ers are kind of going through the same thing. I know Trent Williams is, is established over there at left tackle, and then a right tackle, Mike McGlinchey's coming back off of the quad tear. But from right guard to, to left guard and the center position, you could be having a couple of young guys. Aaron Banks could be out there, who we didn't see any of last year. Jake Brendel, uh, sort of a small guy at center, potentially. And then we'll see if it's uh, if it's Jalen Moore at uh, at left guard. But uh, all that remains to be seen. So offensive line, I think across the the NFC West, is going to be a, uh, a conversation we continue to have throughout the season. Hey, before we let you go, the NFL, especially NFL media, all about proclamations about uh, predictions. Uh, finish the sentence for me. The Seahawks can make the postseason if... Ooh, if they have a top seven defense. I think that if you have a great pass rush with Daryl Taylor, Unchenna, and Wasu, two stud cornerbacks, and like let's say some combination of Trey Brown, second-year guy to Oklahoma, and Kobe Bryant, a rookie out of uh, Cincinnati, who's just you know named the Jim Thorpe Award winner, Beth B in college football combined with two of the best safeties in Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs. Like if you have that and you have like a top seven or eight defense and probably some nerdy stat like EPA per play or DVOA from football outsiders, one of those, not just like points per game or something. If you're top seven there, I think that the offense can be pedestrian and get you to the playoffs. Hell, seven teams get in. Right? You don't got to be lights out. Pitts- Pittsburgh and the Raiders somehow got in last year, and they were poopy. <laughs> so I think that you know if the Seahawks have a top seven defense, which is great, right? Championship caliber. If you have that, then you have a chance of getting in as like the sixth or seventh seed. I got to see you drop poopy in more articles, bro. You got to start using that as a, as a way to describe stuff this season, man. Yeah, the uh, it, it was uh, uh, they were good all, all year long or all game long, but uh, they were just poopy on third down, man. Didn't work out for them. <laughs> I'll try it. Po- poopy and yucky yeah. are what I use when I want to be PG-13. There you go. Poopy and yucky is good, man. Hey, uh, nothing guaranteed in the NFL. Uh, nothing guaranteed in life. Death taxes, though, and Pete Carroll smacking gum on the sideline, and we'll be seeing it uh, in just a couple of weeks here. Thanks so much, Michael. We'll catch up with you when the Niners come down to, uh, to play Seattle later this year. All right. Thanks for having me. Peace. Great stuff from Michael Sean Dugar. Make sure you're reading him and following him. You can uh, get more on the Seahawks on the Athletic Podcast Network uh, as hosted by Michael, the Seahawks Man-to-Man Podcast. Uh, check that out anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, and again, keep reading him throughout the season and uh, and get more information on the Seahawks and what the 49ers are looking at in the NFC West. I do think that they stack up, the Seahawks do, as probably the worst team in the division. I'm probably going Rams, 49ers, and still question marks, of course, about Trey Lance. And then the Cardinals. We'll see if Kyler Murray is uh, is able to meet his, his quota for hours studied 
throughout every any given game week this year. Until the Niners see them, uh, we just don't know what uh, what kind of team the Seahawks are putting out there. I personally am not real sold on Drew Locker on Geno Smith, but uh, we'll see if Pete Carroll's rah-rah attitude can, uh, can keep the culture alive up in Seattle. Thank you to Michael Sean Dugar. Thank you to Brian Smith, my producer, and thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. We'll keep bringing you the best stories in Bay Area sports, and we will continue the NFC West preview with uh, Jordan Rodriguez, who covers the Rams. We'll talk to her in a couple of weeks, and we'll get you a preview on the Arizona Cardinals as well. Uh, Until Wednesday, everybody enjoy the week. We'll talk to you then.